Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. Yeah, my name is Nick Gillespie. I'm one of the pastors here at Covenant Church, and uh, we're going to jump right on into week two of our series, uh, The Promise of Prosperity. Uh, we are in the book of Malachi, and uh, God is taking his people to task in the way that they're living. Uh, what we found out last week, if you were with us, is that there's this path of pride, of ego, of self-centeredness that focuses on what I deserve, when I, what I'm owed, and how it is that when we focus on ourselves, how it is that it distorts our worship of God, and particularly last week, how it was manifesting itself with Israel, God's people, not giving God good gifts. But God promises a better path, this path of prosperity, of being in relationship with him, being in love with him, and experiencing the blessings of that fellowship with him. And he is, he is again, inviting people back. He's inviting his people back into that fellowship with him and that they would then be under his care and under his prosperity. Well, this week, we're going to kind of take a look at another way in which sort of this path of pride leads to uh, distorted worship and broken relationships. So that's going to be our focus this morning and how God reinvites us back into walking this path of prosperity with him. And what does it mean and what does it look like relationally speaking? So if something breaks around the house, right, like you pull out the glue and you glue it together, right? When, you, when something breaks, you know that base, that piece, that hunk chips off, you get out the super heavy duty super glue, right? You glue it on there, you stick it on there, and your hope when you put those pieces back together is that they won't break again, right? You don't want it to re-break or else you just continue to put more super glue on it and more super glue and it just kind of gets nastier and all that kind of stuff, right? But you glue things together because they're broken, so you're trying to mend them back together. And the purpose of using the glue is that they would adhere and not break. It wouldn't break apart. So the gecko is known for his world famous, like, you know, his, hers, whatever, you know, uh, world famous sticky pads. Uh, we've got commercial super glue, which is even stronger than the gecko uh, sticky pads. And what's even stronger than commercial grade super glue is uh, this glue that's secreted by this bacteria called Calubacter crescentis. Calubacter crescentis is a certain type of bacteria that secretes a glue that can most oftentimes be found in boat holes. So boats get, a boat gets a hole in it, the bacteria kind of takes up residence inside that, uh, inside that hole, it starts secreting this glue, it secretes this glue so that it can catch its food, you know, as the boat's kind of traveling through the water. And this glue is so strong, one, it is really hard to get off. I mean, even like a super hard like power wash doesn't necessarily get rid of this glue. But it's so strong that just a quarter size amount of this glue from this bacteria can hold in suspension multiple cars. It's that strong, right? And the bacteria secretes this glue, why? So that it would be able to take up residence, create a home, be able to stick to the boat and not be taken away. And so this morning what we're thinking about as we talk about like bonding agents, is that God intended us to bond to one another. He intended us to be bound in relationship with him and with one another. And it is absolutely essential for our spiritual vitality, for our emotional vitality, for our health, 
Dr. Henry Cloud, who is a uh, world-famous Christian counselor, he wrote a seminal book called Changes That Heal. He makes this observation about the need for relationships. He says, the soul cannot prosper without being connected to others. No matter what characteristics we possess or what accomplishments we amass, without solid emotional connectedness, without bonding to God and other human, humans, we will suffer sickness of soul. All right, so without bonding to God, without being bound to other human beings, we'll be soul sick. We'll be emotionally unhealthy. We will not be complete in the way that God intended us to be. In regards to like child development, you know, infant child is born, and immediately, right, if you've been in the room, immediately a child is put on top of his mother's chest, they begin feeding, they begin the skin-to-skin -skin contact, all that kind of stuff, right? Because immediately that child begins to bond with their parent, namely mom, but mom and dad. But the hope is that the child wouldn't just be glued to you, right, physically, that mom is, you know, it's weird when a kid is seven and still feeding from mom. That just shouldn't be that way, right? The goal is that over time, as that child experiences nurturing love, that that child is able to separate, and through separation is able to still know that they're fully bonded with their parents, that they are loved dearly by their parents. And I think it's around like month 16, 17, 18, um, you begin to develop this thing called object, uh, emotional object constancy. And so this is when parents, when you drop your kids off in the nursery and you leave the room, they freak out, they begin crying, and you think that you're a terrible parent. You're like, what am I doing to the covenant kids, workers? My child is just screaming their head off. You're out, I see you, you're out in the hallway. You're peering around the corner to make sure John, little Johnny's okay. And it's gonna be all right with you. But this is a necessary developmental act because what the child is beginning to develop is memories. Mom and dad drop me off at the scary place. They leave. They do come back and get me and I'm safe. I'm okay, right? I'm still loved. And as we mature into adults, you have friends, right? They move away, and yet in your heart, you're still close to them. Husband and wife leave and go to their jobs, and they are still married. They're still bound and experience that, that, that love, the nourishment and nurturing of it, even though they're in the office. And this is the way God has designed us to be. Dr. Henry Cloud goes on to say, hey, we also have not just emotional object constancy, but spiritual object constancy. That with God, with God, we are meant to be bound to him. And by having memories with God in relationship and fellowship, we are more and more tied to him. That no matter how we might feel, I feel great, I feel bad, I feel God is close to me, I feel God is super far away, that even in those seasons that are difficult, we still know that we're loved. It's a developmental maturity place that we get in this place with God, that we know that we're loved with God regardless of the season that we're in. And what we're going to see here is that Israel is having a difficult time sticking to God. They're having a hard time sticking to God and sticking to one another. And one of the reasons is that they are forgetting. And we saw this last week, but they're forgetting the love of God. Pastor and theologian, Robbie Gallaty, he says this. He says, forgetfulness will lead to faithlessness. So as Israel is forgetting the works of God in their life, forgetting the love of God, this forgetfulness leads to faithlessness. Last week we saw it in their acts of worship, and this week we're going to see it in the relationships that they're creating with one another and what's happening. 
So let's jump into Malachi. Let's read it. I would encourage you, if you have a Bible, whether it's on an app or an actual physical Bible, open it up, because we're actually going to be in the text here for a little bit, okay? I want to explain some things that are going on. He says a lot in a few short verses. All right, verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah has been faithless. An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he, God, loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. In this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and with groaning, because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? Why does he not accept my offering? Well, because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you've been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? God the offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let, not, and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the, man who does the, who, for the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. So, I mean, he's pretty clear. This is a pretty heavy text. So let's break it down and let's kind of figure out what is going on so that we can understand what Malachi is teaching the people. All right, let's start back in verse 10. He brings up the doctrine of the Trinity, okay, the doctrine of the Trinity. There's several doctrines that are within the church. A doctrine is basically any kind of belief that you kind of piece together through reading of Scripture. There's the doctrine of God, the doctrine of Christ, doctrine of salvation. There's the doctrine of the Trinity. The Trinity is that we as Christians believe that there is one God and three persons. One God, but three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit spirit. In the Old Testament, it was more referred to, where in the New Testament, it becomes much more obvious, the Trinity. In the Old Testament, there's an angel that was not just an angelic being, but, but like a man, and some suppose that this is probably Jesus. We see the work of God as he's speaking through the prophets, as he's visiting Abraham, and we see the Holy Spirit even in this text referred to. So they had some concept that God was one, but there's more going on to this, to God than what they were understanding. And the New Testament becomes obvious because Jesus shows up and then Jesus says, hey, I'm sending my Holy Spirit. And so there's one God and then three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, all three are fully God, meaning the Father isn't one-third and the Son is one-third and the Spirit is one-third, no. All three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are all fully God. Whatever it means to be God, omnipresent, omniscient, you know, anything that we ascribe, hey, if you're God, then you have to have these qualities. They meet it fully, all three of them, all right? They're not like a chunk of the pie. They are the whole pie in of themselves, and yet they're persons, meaning that they each have a role in salvation, a role in creation. They each have their own volition, their own will. They make their own choices, and yet they're unified under one God. And so he's saying, hey, has not, are we not from one father? 
has one God not created us? Then the very next sentence he says to the church, then why are we faithless to one another? Why are we not united together? Why are there divisions amongst us? All right, so he's saying, when we look at the, our creator who's one, why are we not one in the way that we operate towards one another? Why are we faithless against one another? And he doesn't spend too much time here because he really wants to take them to ca- ta- task about marriage. So we immediately go um, after that in verse 11. He says that Judah, God's people, has profaned his temple. He calls it an abomination. This is pretty heavy stuff. Something, it's a big deal. This is a big deal. What's going on? Because Israel, namely the men, are marrying daughters of a foreign god. So Malachi is tying for people worship and sex. He is tying for them in their mind of how relationships work and how worship works, that faithfulness to God and followership of God is matched by faithfulness in marriage and sexual intimacy. So what's going on here? One of two things could be happening. So Israel, the men are marrying their wives, okay? And then sometime along the line, they become displeased with their wives and they begin to look elsewhere. So one of the common practices was in other nations worship in their temple was to visit temple prostitutes, have conjugal visits, so to speak. That was a way of worshiping in other nations' practices. So these men could have been going to temple and being united with a prostitute. Thus, what Malachi is saying is you are marrying them when you do this. Or they're actually getting married. So they're actually going to daughters of other nations and marrying them. And what he's saying is when you marry a daughter from, who worships a different god, you are now worshiping their god. So he is very much tying worship and sexual intimacy hand in hand. So he's taking them to task that they are unfaithful to God because they are unfaithful in their relationships. When they're unfaithful in their relationships, when they're not committed to the marriage bed, then it will taint and is affecting their worship of God. So Benjamin Eisenstadt, make sure I said that right, Eisenstadt, invented the single-serving sugar packets. We like single-serving sugar packets. Some of you put them in your coffee this morning. So he was working in the Navy. Uh, well, he, had a, he owned a cafe near the Navy shipyard, and obviously he had these, all these Navy men coming in. And he got tired of having to clean all of the jars of sugar and cleaning the tables as these men just dump sugar all over the place or just throwing sugar around. He's like, it's too much. I don't like this. And so he created the single-serving sugar packet. So he was not a great businessman, though, because then he went to sugar companies like, hey, I got a good idea. I created this single-serving sugar packet. You should invest with me. And he didn't have it patented. So they're like, no, we'll just take your idea and use it. So they stole his idea and just began to use it. But don't feel bad for him because he came up with sweet and low. So he did all right. The sugar packet is a cleaner, more efficient use of sugar. It's for me in this moment at this time. I use it, I discard it, I move on. Pride's path 
is engaging in single-serving relationships. When I live for me, when my relationships are about myself, they're single-serving relationships, meaning my relationships are useful to me for my momentary personal happiness and pleasure. I am with you as long as it's convenient, and I will sustain the relationship with as little energy as possible. As once it gets difficult, once there's some conflict, once you displease me, I'll go find some other friends. I'll go find another spouse. I'll find someone else who will make me happy. You see, divorce was commonplace, maybe similar to today. Malachi is saying divorce had become common. Being united and separated was something that the people were just sort of like, hey, this is what we do. I mean, this was really bad, particularly amongst the men, because men were in power then. And it's like, yeah, you know, if your wife no longer makes you happy, you're kind of done with her, just get a divorce. Go marry the next one. Go be united in another one. She'll make you happy. She'll make your life better. You see, just because something is normalized doesn't make it normal. Just because as a culture, we normalize something, it doesn't make it normal. And just because we detach the institution, institution of marriage from the one who fathered it, God, and we make it however we want it to be, and we normalize its practices for our own use and benefit, that doesn't make it normal. What Malachi is saying is there are consequences that are happening. There are consequences that are rolling out of their practice of divorce that they are negligent of. They're experiencing it, but they're pretending that the practice is normal, that it's okay to be united and disconnect. But God didn't design it that way. In fact, Jesus says this in Matthew. Jesus is the one who says, hey, so no, they are no longer two but one flesh, meaning the husband and wife are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. What God has joined together, let man not separate. The two become one. Now, there are provisions in the scripture about divorce or for divorce, reasons or grounds for divorce. We're not going to go into that. That's for another conversation another time. What Malachi is saying is it's not normal. It's not okay. It's not what should be practiced. If there is divorce, there should be grief and sadness. But here, there's not. It's whatever. So, duct tape is super sticky, right? Oh, yeah. You got to love that sound, right? Every man's like, man, I just want to, like, go fix something in my house. Once you hear that. So, he uses the term violence here. He says you're filling your garment with violence when you practice divorce in this way. And so, I don't know. There's a man. He's sticky, right? He's supposed to be sticky. God made us this way. And this man duct tape falls in love with this female duct tape, and she's sticky too. <laughs> and the two of them go on some dates, and they find out there's some mutual attraction. They're really excited about each other. They have a lot of fun and all that kind of stuff, and everything's good, and they're like, hey, Let's make this thing official. Let's get in front of a pastor and church and family and let's say our vows and do all that stuff. And when they consummate, God puts them together, right? Just like that. They're not meant to be torn apart. The two pieces of tape become one piece of tape. And what he's saying is when the two pieces of tape are together, 
and you rip them apart, oh man. It's not quite the same, right? It's not the same. It's a violent act. Neither one sticks the way it was meant to stick before. Both are marred and mangled. And just because we divorce and just because we put on happy faces and just because we say, hey, I'm happier now and she's happier. Oh man, our kids are much happier because they don't have to hear us fight so much. Doesn't mean that we're not doing violence to one another or to those who are part of our family. And God's just drawing this attention to them. And it doesn't mean that we're not doing violence even to our relationship with God. As Israel is listening to this, I can only imagine the weight of grief that is in their heart. God says, hey, let's look at the consequences. You're coming to worship. You're weeping. He says you are weeping with tears because you feel that disconnection between me, the Father, and you. You sense the shame and the guilt, and you want things to be better. You want to be healthy, and you want to be whole. And yet you don't realize that the way that you are practicing marriage is the thing that is separating you from worship and fellowship with me. You don't realize that this is having an effect not just on your spiritual person, but your emotional person. I mean, if we took a survey of people who get separated and then look at the trajectory of their mental health, what will we find? I mean, I'm from a divorced home. I was raised by a single mom. And I know even the consequences decades later continue to spiral and spiral and how it has affected even my parents' emotional well-being. So in the moment, yeah, it feels better momentarily. But in the long run, there are consequences. What God has bound together when it is ripped apart, it is ripped apart. And so what do we do? Because this is true. Divorce is all over. Statistically within the church, it's just the same as society. So what do we do? Well, praise God that the solution doesn't lie with us. As we might feel guilt and shame, even embarrassment about our practices before God, our selfishness, or our naiveness, God invites us into relationship with him. Just the next chapter, read with me, chapter 3, verse 1. The Lord says, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek, all right, Israel still seeking God, will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. He says, right now, in your unfaithfulness, you are not pleasing me, but I will come and I will clean you up. 
I will send my messenger. This is Jesus Christ. This is about 400 years before Jesus gets on the scene. I will send my, my son into the temple and he will clean it up. He will purify you. And once he purifies you, you will then be able to offer sacrifices once again. So we don't look at ourselves and we don't try to clean it up. We don't try to fix it. We don't try to pretend that the shame isn't there, the guilt's not there, the brokenness isn't there. We bring it to the Lord and we trust him to provide the better way. And he provides Christ. So Christ comes, Christ purifies. Why is it that sometimes we don't like to look at the scriptures in regards to our practices? It's because we don't want to stop. It's because we want to continue to persist in our disobedience. And so why is it that when Jesus shows up, it's, it's beautiful because it purifies us. It's painful because when something's dirty, you've got to scrub. When something's dirty, you've got to put some elbow grease in it, and it's got to be cleaned. And Jesus does that work. And usually, for most of us, when we consider Jesus and his work, we run away into the darkness because we don't want to be exposed by his light. By, by coming into the light, he then purifies us with his work, his death and resurrection. Yes, you are dirty, you are broken, you are full of shame. But you know what? I accept you. I love you. I give myself to you. I wash you clean. And it's from this place we then can now re-engage in healthy covenant relationship. So the promised path is covenant relationships. We see it all throughout scripture. This, is, this isn't what's normal, covenant relationships. Covenant relationship is a sacred, unchangeable union built on conditional promises. You can define it a lot of different ways. This is a simple way of defining it. It's a sacred and unchangeable union built on conditional promises. So God covenants with his people. I will clean you. I will love you. I will forgive you. And in turn, you will dedicate your whole self to me. That's the condition. When we talk about unconditional love, that's not necessarily really a thing. Now, God's offering of himself isn't based on what we do. He offers himself because he loves us and cares for us. He's strong enough to do it. He offers his whole self to us. But it does require us to say, I'm in, and you can have all of me. That's how the covenant relationship works. And then in marriage, we reciprocate that same type of love to one another. A husband and wife don't stand up, and the wife doesn't say, you can have all of me. And the guy says, you get 10%. It doesn't work that way, right? You're not married. She says, you get all of me. And then he says, you get all of me. And they kiss, and they hug, and they're wedded, right? It's 100%, 100%. That's a condition. It's not unconditional. It's conditional. She said yes, 100% of me. He says yes, 100% of me. And that's the way it works. That's how they're bound together. That's how the two become one. And so what does this mean for us? Well, I want to look at a couple of quick passages here in the New Testament to kind of bridge it into today. And then we'll talk about how do we apply this. So it's super cool. I, well, I'm, I can be a little bit of a Bible nerd. But it's super cool when you read the Old Testament, you go to the New Testament, and you're like, oh, man, there's these things that connect. Not this one yet. Not this one yet. We'll get there. Real quick. In Ephesians 5, you can read it on your own. Ephesians 5, verse 25 to 27 Paul links marriage with the work of Christ. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor. Yes, 
It says, husbands, you are to love your wives and wash them with the truth of the gospel. It says that, but even more than that, it's really saying Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. Christ gives himself up for the church so that he can reestablish covenant with her. He is the one that purifies her. John 15, 4, 5. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Jesus says, be connected to me, be bound with me, and you'll bear much fruit. If you're in this union, you will flourish. Emotionally, spiritually, physically, you will flourish. So Jesus gives us a covenant. He washes us that we might receive it. He then says, when you walk in that path, when you walk in that covenant, you will now flourish, you will now prosper, and then we are told specifically about guarding our marriage. This is the one that I want to uh, show right here, Dwayne. Um, Paul says this. He says, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple to the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in the body. In the New Testament, again, we see the connection between worship and sex. If we, want, uh, if we want union with God and we want ourselves to experience his fullness, the Holy Spirit in us, then in our practice and our marriages, we must be sexually pure. And sexual immorality will defile us Yes, all sin is sin. All sin will be judged by God, and yet certain sins have unique consequences. And this one, Paul says in Corinthians, affects your worship of God 100%. If you are breeding immorality and idolatry in your mind and in your heart by what you look like or what you look at or who you're with or how you're connected with someone that's not your mate or your spouse, it will affect your worship of God. And you're naive if you think that they're detached. Because in the Old Testament and New Testament, they say they're together. They are together. And so your marriage and the health of your marriage directly relates to your health of your worship of God and, your health of your, and the health of your worship with God directly relates to the health of your marriage. They are connected. And God says, walk in covenant fidelity. Walk in purity. So our big idea this morning is this. Sticky people stick. You should remember that tomorrow morning. God made me sticky, and I'm meant to stick. You were meant to stick to God. That's why he put your, his Holy Spirit in you. He'll never leave you. If you've received him, he'll never leave you. He's stuck with you. You're stuck with him. You're his child. And then you're meant to carry that into your marriage. If you're married now, you're meant to stick to your spouse and be stuck to them. And if you're single... You are not meant to stick to anyone in marriage, we know what that means, until you're married. So if you're single, wait. Wait, because you do not want to taint your union with your future mate that God might potentially have with you, and you don't want to disrupt your stickiness to God by practicing sexual immorality. And then it continues further down to the church, we are meant to stick to one another. So super shopper-like church life isn't gospel life. You're meant to stick to each other, to be faithful to each other. 
And if you're bouncing from church to church and place to place, and you're not committed to those relationships and fostering them, you will not develop spiritual object constancy with your family, your spiritual family, and with God. And so you're meant to form memories and relationships with people in the context of the church. And so that's why we can arrive back in Malachi, verse 16, where he says, so guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. God cleanses you, but you're to guard your heart. You're to guard your walk. You're to guard your faithfulness with him. And we guard by believing the right things, believing truth and not whatever we find convenient, believing what is taught in the Bible. We guard by teaching these things to one another and to our children. Love is not love, and we don't define marriage. God defines marriage, and we say, this is how God defines it. And we continue to remind ourselves that this is how God defines it. We guard our hearts by the way we live and the choices that we make. Husbands, are you loving your wives in the ways that the scriptures call you to? Are you leading her in the ways that scripture calls you to? Wives, the scriptures call you to respect your husband. Are you respecting him in the way that God requires you to respect your husband? We must be faithful to one another to experience that bonding union that he intends for us, both with one another and with God. Single people, are you living, are you living faithfully the way God calls you to live faithfully and to wait patiently for the mate that God might potentially provide for you in your future? And lastly, we regard by remembering. Greg, I'm gonna invite you to come up right now. We guard by remembering. We're gonna transition right into communion. I don't know about you, um, this is a hard text. I mean, in my own union with my wife, in my own experience with my own family, you know, these disruptions, they distort our thinking. Dr. Henry Cloud kind of covers that in his book, but they do. And we must take account of the lies that have sunk into our hearts, into our minds, the things that we've believed, particularly about God, lies because of broken relationships. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna have a time of about two minutes for you to just personally reflect. There's the examination part where we bring our lives before God. And it's not scary because he loves us and he is ready to cleanse us and invite us back in. But we have to be willing to open our hearts, to be vulnerable enough to say, God, would you draw near to me? And yes, I'm scared or I have feelings of guilt or shame but trusting that God and his goodness will draw near to you. And so, before we approach the table, on the screen will be certain beliefs, untruths about God that we might be tempted to believe. And then will come a slide of a passage in Malachi that subverts or challenges that with what's really true. And as we are just kind of sitting quietly in our seats, I would just invite you to pray to God, say, God, examine me. Let me know if there's any unbelief, any untruth that I'm believing. And there might be a slide or something that catches your eye, a truth from Malachi that God just wants you to kind of focus on. You're going to do that, offer yourselves before him, and in a couple minutes, Greg will invite us to the table. Hi again. 
Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon, every Sunday, in person or online. Thanks for listening.